0: never give up. Winston Churchill apparently was speaking to a high school and that was the letterhead of what he had to say to them and I would say to you, if you take nothing else understand that as a Christian we never give up. We'll look at it under a series of headings which you'll see later on but I just want to lead into the song that the A quartet will sing soon. Sometime a man travelled from his hometown to another for training. During the travel, he listened to a mix of music and scripture. About halfway through that journey, he became very burdened because he remembered what his wife had told him about their child. And he realised that, Lord, if you don't step in, we will lose this child. And there's nothing we can do about it. Circumstances like that cross our paths through the passage of life. And they can make us want to give up. Consider the circumstances of those that have lost everything in the fires in New South Wales and Victoria. I cannot imagine how that feels. And it's not just one family here and there. It scores. We were down south not too long ago and there's all the smoke and stuff. You can't see the Alps from the west coast and the Alps are pretty close. And that's a bit of a pain, but it's nothing compared to losing your home, losing your community, losing your business. So what does God say to Christians that feel like they want to give up? People who lose family members, perhaps recently. Those... Enduring long-term illness with no apparent improvement and the next year follows the next year the same over and over again. Relationship breakdowns, financial ruin, and the list goes on. And then you've got the world scene. I don't know if you've been watching. There's the way that man views it in their unsurpassed wisdom. And then there's the way that God sees it. And the question's... That we want to ask ourselves are who are you looking at? Who are you listening to? And who do you believe? The song we're about to sing, Hardy Three, if we'd come three, please, addresses those issues of despair, powerlessness, and brokenness that may afflict us at some time of our lives. The writer reminds us that God allows things to happen outside our control, but he always, always has a way of bringing us through.
1: When I saw what lay Before me Lord I cried What will you do I thought He would just Remove it But he gently Led me through Without fire There's no refining without pain no relief without flood there's no rescue
0: Felt paralysed by fears in your life. We are in a battle. If we look on the screen there, you'll see shades, seeds of doubt, shafts of fear. Those things that start in seed form and can lead to something more serious. Who am I? Why am I here? does my life have purpose? Does God exist? And if he does, does he care about me? Is there life beyond death? What on earth is happening? Climate change, nobody can deny. But the reasons for it, I don't accept what we're told. Because if you look into scripture, you'll expect it. Will I always be able to support myself? Will my health last the distance? And does anybody love me? Big questions. Doubts and fears affect us from the cradle to the grave. I know because when I first held my grandson, he cried. <laughs> I don't know you. And it doesn't leave us. Health issues arise Relationships crumble, finances evaporate, disasters derail, and we stumble under the constant battering of life. That is the way life is. What do we do with those doubts, those fears, those circumstances? In June 1940, the Battle of Britain was about to begin. They sensed it. France had fallen, and they knew they were next The situation was looking dire for the British and the British Empire. On the 4th of June, just over a month before the war began, the House of Commons heard these words, and you'll know them. There they are. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. That is a statement. Whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and on the streets... We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Christian, how much do you value your faith? The world talks of battles in three words. It's victory, defeat, and surrender. And surrender might as well have defeat written right over it. So what is it? In God's economy... How does he view battles? If he used three words, they'd all be the same victory, 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 and he says to us live like me. Who are we looking at? Who are we listening to? Who do we believe? Right. Let's turn in your Bibles if you've got it to first Samuel seventeen. Life's a battle, be in it to win it. David and Goliath, you know the story, so I won't bore you with the fact that David was a shepherd boy and he used a sling to slay a giant who probably would have easily reached or maybe reached the roof in terms of his height, some three metres And David, I guess, was just a little fellow. He bursts onto the pages of Scripture in First Samuel 16. If you think that, you haven't read it. Samuel is charged by God to go and anoint the future king of Israel. And um, they couldn't find him. I went through all the brothers, and then he says to Jesse, have you got another son somewhere? Oh, he's out looking after the sheep. Well, get him. That's how he comes into the pages of Scripture. From nowhere, and nobody, almost despised by his own family. And nothing really changes after the anointing. He's shuttling backwards from Saul to play the harp, music, He's Saul's mind, and then he goes back to looking after the sheep. Then we come to chapter 17, and the situation changes. But what you don't want to miss is that what happened in 16 is the foundation for what happens in 17. This is his first major test. And it happens this way. As Dad says, your brothers are out fighting with Saul. Well, no. But anyway, go and take them supplies and see how things are going. So he goes. The situation that David comes across is vastly different to what Jesse told him. The battle isn't happening. It's been dead stalemate for 40 days. We read about the fear factor in the Israeli army. What we don't read about is... Why were the Philistines wasting their time for 40 days? Why were they not making a move? Just think that one through. They trusted in one man, the big one. And he would come out those 40 days and he would tell the Israeli army how wonderful he was, how big he was, how strong he was, how excellent he was and his various things that he had done, and how useless they were. They believed it, and nothing happened. They decided, or he offered, that if they didn't want to get in an all-out scrap, they just send one man, and the outcome of that particular battle would you know, determine who was the winner, who served who, and so on. Goliath was convinced that he had the winning hand. There was no way anybody could win against him. Now, where is your champion? David arrives in time to hear this daily ritual. And while everybody else is fearing and trembling, he. echoes come up. He's insulting the God of Israel. Now, that is, I guess, reason enough to say, hey, I don't belong in the army, I'm out of here. But David doesn't. Because we get knockbacks too. That's pushback number one. Now, if you ask, or if you go and look and Google and ask what the Valley of Elar is like, it's flat, stony, a bit like life at times, wide in some places and narrow in others, and if you're very fortunate, you might be able to pinpoint the location of the battle, but I couldn't. So the call goes out, strikes fear into the hearts of all except David. Pushback number two, his older brother Eliab says, you've just come here to see the battle. And David could have thought, oh, my brother thinks I'm stupid. But he didn't. He gathers more information, what's going to be done for the person who does this job. Someone tells the king, so he goes up. To the king, and the king pushes back as well. You'll get killed. Well, under normal circumstances, probably. Still, David is not deterred. He recites how he has been looking after the sheep, and when the lions and the bears came to attack the sheep, he dealt with them, and this person will be like one of them. But you see, he had a thing going between him and the Lord too. And you find that soon. Goliath, pushback number four, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Curses David by his gods and lectures David about the brevity of life and his impending death. Now, we'll go to the scripture. First Samuel 17 and... Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. The scripture mentions how big they were. They were weapons of mass destruction. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, not in 40 days' time, This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. You notice the difference if you're reading the account. Goliath, it's all about him and what he can do. David's already taking none of the credit. He marches into battle and we know what happens. What was different about David? David. He was a man after God's own heart before he was anointed. He fought off and killed lions before he was anointed. and bears as well. He was a gifted musician and songwriter before he was anointed. But the Spirit of God rested on him since his anointing. So when he heard the call from Goliath, he understood what it was right away and went forward in the confidence that God would grant him victory. Saul and his armies looked at Goliath and they focused on his size because that's what scripture shows us. The weights and the thickness of the beams, the heaviness of his armor. They were paralyzed for 40 days. David looked at Goliath and remembered God and his power and might. Saul and his army heard the voice the threats, and they ran away. David heard the same thing and ran toward, kind of back to front, isn't it? Saul and his army believed the lies of Goliath and their hearts melted. David believed God and strode forward in certain expectation of victory. I like that. I asked my mum some time ago, what... Was it in PNG? Did you ever feel afraid where you were? Because they were isolated and they were vulnerable. She says, It never crossed my mind. And I said it crossed mine. <laughs> as I was as when I was a youngster though, I never knew. I wouldn't have known. Everybody was our friends. But there was an ambush planned for my dad and another missionary that by God's intervention was averted. So it was a dangerous place. Do these mind games happen today? Think of the haka. Its original intention was to intimidate, and I think they try to do that today. The Scots use their pipes. Some tribes paint themselves, particularly in Papua New Guinea as fearsomely as they can. Boxers and wrestlers talk themselves up before matches. And even now, the Goliaths of the Middle East are shouting out their curses and ranting against Israel. And one day it will blow. I thought not too long ago it would, after the general was assassinated, but then somebody shot down their own plane and their own people, and it kind of put a damper on everything. You notice that? Someone not too long ago from that area boasted that if they got into battle with Israel, Israel would cease to exist in half an hour. That's a pretty big boast if you're directing it skywards. So how do we go from there? We're going to sing a new song, and not a new song, sorry, it was written in 1963, so it's not that new, Um, a song, He Touched Me. Basically, the song shows that if you have been touched by God, you are able to participate with him in what I've called the roadmap to victory, and we'll learn about that shortly.
1: He touched me. Oh, he he touched, touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and, and now, now I know. He touched I've met this blessed Savior Since he's cleansed and made me whole I will never cease to praise him I'll shout it while eternity me oh he touched me he touched me and all the joy that floods my soul
0: I trust that is your experience too. Proverbs twelve twenty five. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. First Peter five seven cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Philippians four six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petitions. Present your requests to God. And 1 John 5, 4b. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is believing what you cannot see before it occurs. We shouldn't be weighed down by the fears of the world. They rob us of energy. They can make us sick. We're to identify them, face them, and place them in the Lord's hands. But if you don't believe God, that will make no sense to you. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. So belief is necessary before the rewards can come. The roadmap to victory comes from Hebrews 13, 1 to 8. If you have your Bible handy, you may want to read along. Keep loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. That's pretty fascinating all by itself. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you may, if you're looking at that and thinking it through, notice the similarity. Who are you looking at? Who are you listening to and who do you believe? They are the essential elements of faith. Who are you looking at? Who are you listening to? Who do you believe? God has said, are we listening? Do we believe him? Remember your leaders. Were you listening? Do you believe them? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What were you looking at? What were you absorbing when you had that leadership in front of you? Back in 75, being a missionary family, we got used to moving around and this was a shift from Christchurch to Invercargill. My parents bought a new home. They needed to raise a loan as a lot of people do. Dad goes to the bank. The bank manager says, Yes, I see your application. I've got a pile this high and it's going on the bottom. I don't know if I'm like my dad because he thought to himself my application is in higher hands than yours and he got the loan. Faith sees the deal done before it takes place and moves forward in the confidence that God has it under control. A family member with a long-term illness can drain a family's energy. Anyone in that situation faces lost opportunities, starved friendships and uncertain future and the feeling that life is passing them by. Perhaps a relationship with a family member has gone sour and it seems the current state is final. Whatever the situation or predicament, whether of our own making or circumstances beyond our control, God says to us, never give up financial problems health concerns relational stress, social upheaval, vocational concerns marital complications housing, food supply, that's life and God doesn't say when you come to me everything will be sweet No, he says, I'm going to test you. There's going to be a bit of pushing. I want to find out who you are. What are you made of? And it should be no secret that after the last month or so, we feel rather pressured. The other day, we'd finished our quiet time, prayed and so on, was just sitting back, thinking of nothing in particular, feeling a bit blue because things weren't working quite the way we anticipated. And the words formed in my mind, with me it is always victory. And I knew who was saying that, and I knew what it was about. And you do too, because I've told you. So you get off your little crying spell or whatever it is and say, well, Lord, you say it's victory, then that's what I'm trusting you for. When we went to Cameron and Beths not too long ago, again, I was feeling a bit down. It happens. In the place where we were to sleep, they have a fairly large stitching thing there and the words were there we read them before in Hebrews do not be afraid or discouraged never will I leave you or forsake you I'll be with you wherever you go what I needed right then never give up no matter how bad it seems because God has the answer he doesn't promise to come straight away and relieve the tension right away but he wants us to never give up. So we remember what God has promised. We agree with God by affirming, confident self-talk. You've got to voice it. Not the negative stuff, the positive stuff. We fortify that position by recalling the example of our leaders. And even today, I think in terms of the leaders, particularly from Invercargill, where I had my teen years, what would AJ do? What would Jeff do? What would Harold do? What would Dad do? Lock it in by remembering that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then live victoriously. Is it simple? No. Because if it was, everybody would do it. It takes work. It takes courage. It takes faith cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. In the face of trial, never give up. In the cauldron of testing, never give up. In the fire pit of adversity, never give up. When fears assault and troubles distract, the skies be contrary, good health but a memory. When friendships fade, the night merging with day, remember your calling. Never give up. The quartet is about to sing. And um, that'll be our close of our section. At the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. For the Christian, there is a hope. There is future. There is a destiny beyond compare. If that is not something you're familiar with, and you're not in touch with God, then get in touch with him right away. Find someone here who can help you do that. Don't leave it to chance, because one day, one day that opportunity will be gone. Don't miss it.
1: my sin Where I put The Virtually- tree.